Welcome to Rework, a podcast by 37 Signals about the better way to work and run your business. I'm your host, Kimberly Rhodes. If you've been following along with the podcast, you've heard the mention of two-person teams and how 37 Signals makes most of its software features with just two people working together, one programmer and one designer. But these programmer and designer teams aren't the only small teams of two at the company. The people team, finance, and QA departments also run with these small teams of two. Here to talk about getting more work done with smaller teams are the co-founders of 37 Signals, Jason Freed and David Heinemeyer Hansen. Let's guys start with the programmer-designer combo because I feel like we get a lot of questions about that, how we put out so many features with just two people working on it. Jason, you want to jump into that? Sure. We used to, well, we started out with three person teams kind of, but also kind of two, really. I guess David and I were working together on a lot of things early, early, early days. We had another designer at the time too. We ran with three for a while. And three, by the way, was was two programmers, one designer. But that's when we were doing work that was, I think, multiple months. We didn't really have this idea of cycles yet. It was still like, you know, kind of as long as it takes sort of thing and things were more complicated. I think when we went down to doing six-week cycles, we realized that two people is all you need anyway. We first of all scoped the projects down so they were smaller and tighter and simpler to begin with. And the two-person constraint forces us into making good decisions about what to do and what not to do. And so it's a benefit. We don't feel resource constrained. You know, it's all about like, we actually have plenty of resources. We have a designer and a programmer, both talented people who can build a lot in six weeks maximum. So we don't feel resource constrained. What we do is we, we feel idea constrained. We feel scope constrained. We have to tighten things up to make sure that we can get this done in a certain amount of time. And one of the beautiful things about two people is that um, communication is direct. There's no one translating. There's no translation layer between you know, a manager talking to people or a PM talking to different people. Two people who work together work together directly. They work in the same code base. They work in the same place. They work in Basecamp. They work off the same lists or the same Kanban board. We call it card table. They work in the same chat room. Whatever it is, it's just them two working together. And it's so direct that you can make a lot of progress very, very quickly. I think that's one of the real secrets to this is that when you don't have a middle person, when you don't have a translation layer, you just move fast. You just, it just happens by default, essentially. So um, it'd be hard to actually see us going in a different direction. It'd be hard to ever see us going back up to three or more. Instead, what we do, we, we would have more parallel teams running. So we'd have more two-person teams running. If we want to get more capacity, that's how we do it. We wouldn't throw more people at a project. We'd just build more product teams and do more projects together. I think part of the reason this works is the materials we're working with and how we work with those materials. First of all, all feature development, generally speaking, starts on the web. The web is one of the cheapest forms of software materials you can have in contrast to things like native development that while really important in many cases and necessary, it's just a lot slower. If you work with modern tools for the web, it's incredibly quick to iterate. You're not waiting for sort of updates to put out, um, getting things approved by Apple or Google or whatever. You can iterate on things really quickly. And the oddity here, I think for us, the thing that perhaps stands out more than 
than anything else in that regard is that the programmer and the designer are working in the same materials at the same time in the same code base. We do not have sort of a, we used to call it the, the Photoshop wall. Now I guess it's the Figma wall where you throw Figma files around and then someone has to cut that up and turn it into the actual code. Now the designers at 37 signals go, if not straight to HTML, then very quickly to HTML and not just to HTML, but to JavaScript and even a bit of Ruby that you're working in the same code base. There's not a translation layer. Not only is there not um, sort of a human translation layer, there's not a technical translation layer either. Cutting all those translation layers out and getting the most direct bandwidth between two people, I don't think people realize how big of a difference it, it makes. In fact, um, we had a funny incident a few months ago, I think it was, where we were, was it five programmers on Basecamp? And we were like, it's too many. It's too many. We can't actually do product management for Basecamp with five teams at the same time. We cut that down to three teams. So we'd have three programmers at that time working on Basecamp at any one time with three other uh, programmers. And that was it. That was all we needed. I talk to startups all the time who think they need five, seven, ten programmers to do anything at all. And when I tell them, hey, do you know what? Basecamp, the thing that's like paying for 37 signals has been pushing this whole company forward for 20 years. It consists of like three teams of two. It's like they blow their minds. And this is what is odd to me is we have shared everything about how we built. We share our tools. We share Ruby on Rails. We share our process. We share shape up. We share every single approach to how we run this company, yet it's still somehow a huge secret. There are very few companies who are taking us up on the order of like, if you work with these tools in this way, running your company like this, do you know what? You can get similar levels of productivity. So my mind is just ever baffled that that is the case. But um, I guess that's why we keep doing these shows. This is why we keep writing blog posts. This is why we keep releasing open source code, because this is entirely possible. And it's not because we somehow gathered a completely unique group of people who you couldn't find anywhere else in the world. We've hired a bunch of people over the past two years all new to it, they slot right into the system and are productive in, in much the same way. So the secret is out there. It's just for people to pick up on it and go. Okay, so I'm going to give our audience a little more clarity on these teams of two. Programmer, designer, are they always the same programmer, designer duo? I know the answer is no, but kind of tell me a little bit more about that and how they're partnered up. We kind of have some duos that stick together over multiple cycles, but it's not written in stone. It's just sort of people work together because the product teams are small. Like David said, we have three, three teams on Basecamp. Like there's not a lot of room to move between people anyway, but it can happen. So it's not, it's not, this is not a requirement. You could change up every cycle. We used to do that. Now we don't as much anymore. A lot of it has to do with the projects as well, or historically it had to do with the project. So for example, if there was a part of the product or part of our infrastructure that really required a specific person that person might get shuffled into that because they really know that wor that world well. Although that's not really typically a good thing because then other people don't get exposure to it. But for the most part, if they want to stick together, they do. If they don't, they don't. It doesn't matter. And I think that's the thing. Just We don't need to layer on policies and requirements. 
to make this work. It just works naturally. And I think that's the idea. And I think this is also part of like the not magic. Clearly, there's some magic here. I still actually haven't figured it out, like why more companies and teams haven't taken us up on doing the full thing. But sometimes I think it is because they imagine that this only works if you have folks working together for five years or 10 years or whatever, that you get into some very magic groove and that's what makes the whole thing possible. So not to say that that doesn't help. Um, when you work with someone you've worked with for a long time, it does go faster, but it's not a requirement for this. The, the two person team works without this idea that they are each other's sort of soulmates of development. Um, it's not a prerequisite for, um, for doing it. And okay, then also tell me this about managers, because I know we're not a manager heavy organization, but I assume that these teams of two have some sort of reporting structure. I think that's what gets people confused as well. Yeah, on the product side, essentially, there's one primary product manager happens to be Brian. It also happens to kind of be me and David, ultimately also, but really, it's Brian is the primary person people report to, but it's not really reporting. This is another subtlety, I think, that we've never really quite captured in terms of how to explain this, but there's just a lot of floating going on. There's just like this very organic thing, like people, you know, no one's poking their head in every day to see how's it going, how's it going, how's it going. Every once in a while you do that, or people pull someone else in to get them to look at something or review something together. It could be a peer, it could be a manager. It's just, it just works. People know when they need help. They know when they haven't shown someone something for long enough. When someone hasn't seen something for long enough, they'll ask. There aren't rules here. It's just, what do you need? When do you need it? Who's around to help? And let's make sure the quality bar is still high. So that's a fundamental piece of this too. But it's not, we don't do daily standups. There's not regular check-ins necessarily. There are enough check-ins. There's enough oversight, but not too much. I know this is not satisfying because people want to know, how do you do it exactly? The answer is, you do what you need to do. And you just feel it out. And some projects don't need anything. Some other projects are really involved and need a lot more. Some, some things are, you know, very uncharted territory and there's a lot more involvement from someone more senior or someone with a broader perspective. Other things like just figure it out. Like it's going to be fine. Again, I know this is not satisfying, but that's the truth. And hopefully people can find satisfaction in that. Well, I think the deeper truth, at least for us, is that there's just not a lot of management at this company. You talked about reporting, and that's typically how companies are set up. You have a manager, and you're p- reporting to that manager, and the manager's job is essentially to sort of nag and follow up with you. Are you on track? Are you on task? Are you going where you should go? And we just don't do that. Um, so it ends up with – there's still management, but it's management more by process than by people. That instead of having a person that's following up with you all the time and like checking in on you and making sure that you're on track, we have processes. One of the processes we've talked about in the past is this notion of the automated questions. This is perhaps one of the favorite features of Basecamp for me as a quote unquote manager, or I'd rather almost say as a manager of the processes rather than as a manager of people. I like to put effort into managing processes and those processes should be automatic, unobtrusive, and kind of just there. So these questions we ask is, on uh, Monday, we ask at the beginning of the day, what are you going to work on this week? And then at the end of every day, we ask, 
what did you work on today? And not everyone answers the, the daily question every day, but they answered enough that you get the sense, are we moving forward? And then we have this cycle clock frequency where you have six weeks to work on a feature. Like We only really get to do that six times a year, but that provides us six opportunities to evaluate the quality of the work and help steer someone in direct direction. You're new, you're joining the company, your first cycle is not going to be a slam dunk. You're going to find the autonomy confusing and and weird, I think. Uh, that's at least what I've heard from a fair number of people who've joined this company is that like it's odd that you just get this brief, the product or the feature brief, which is like a single pager with squiggly lines. It's not in precision. Everything is not spelled out, but the broad outline is there. And then you put together with a partner, one other person, and he's told like, all right, go make something great in three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, whatever the appetite we have for that specific feature is. And I find that works the majority of the time. The majority of the time, people will live up to the challenge. They will live up to the trust that you're placing in them. It's in a kind of, again, unusual amount of trust for a lot of people. They're used to being checked up upon every few days, perhaps in some cases every day. And here you could find yourself in a situation where you're not checked up at all, that you might hear from someone like two weeks from now, and you're just there with your partner to figure it out. And it works. And not only does it work, it works better, at least for us, that the removing the managerial interventions and checkup and regime is, is a turbocharger. And this is one of the things, as, as Jason also mentioned, is odd compared to a lot of other companies who think of like product managers as something you need to insert into everything, right? Where we have one, one product manager for like two major products that each have, well, what do you count up, like six active teams, maybe across the two products, Hay and Basecamp. That's enough. Each single team need just one sixth. And it's not even one-sixth because Brian is also thinking about the next cycle and so on. They get one-tenth of Brian in a given cycle. That's enough. That drop of product management is all you need. It's, it's like the, the food coloring, right? You have this beautiful clear glass, one drop of red, boom, the whole glass is red. You don't need to mix in a gallon to turn it red. So realizing that it's not that this is no management. It's not that this is a flat organization. It's not that there's no hierarchy. It's not that there's no one thinking about where the product needs to go. It's that those things can be done at a much, much smaller doses than almost everyone realizes. Okay. So you guys might not know the answer to this, but I'm just curious about your opinion because we've seen in tech huge numbers of hirings, but then also huge numbers of firings. Like where are companies getting it wrong? Clearly we operate with very small teams. Other software companies have triple, quadruple the size, but aren't necessarily making updates as often. Like, where did it go wrong? And there's probably a lot to say here. Most of it's upstream where the ambition is so large and the projects balloon and there's too much planning, central long-term planning. Like, here's our roadmap for two years. Here's all the things we promised our customers that we're going to do. Here's what we promised our investors is how much we're going to grow. Like there's all these promises that are pushed out into the future. And there's nothing easier than making a promise far down the road because you don't have to deliver on anything until later. 
And so with all these promises, you have to start backing it up. And you, you choose too much work too early. Uh, you, you hire a bunch of people to do all this work. To David's point, you have the wrong process in place where there's just a lot of daily standups and scrum and all these things that the velocity and the pace is different and the, and the duration of projects goes on as long as it needs to go. There, there's not time boxing other than like, well, in two years, we're going to get all this stuff done. There's just, it's too big, too broad, too undefined and too long-term, frankly. Um, I, we're very short-term. We think about things every six weeks. Like every six weeks, we figure out, figure out what we're going to do over the next six weeks. And that's basically it. We have an idea roughly where we're headed directionally. But truly, I don't know what we're doing eight weeks from now. I don't know. I, I don't know yet. We haven't decided. And so with that, you can make decisions as you go. The projects are going to be smaller. Again, we're maxing out at six weeks. And the closer you are to now, the smaller you need to be. I think the further out you think and the bigger you think, the more ambitious you think, and the more promises you make. And promises actually is probably the key word here. The more promises you make, the bigger and clunkier and slower and more frustrating it actually becomes. Now, why? And Kimberly's good question. Like, why? Well, I don't really know why, but this is just how it is in most places. It's anathema to us. I mean, it's just not how we would ever want to run things. Um, but this is sort of traditionally how it's been. So I don't know that that's my quick take. Maybe David has a different perspective on it, but that's my feeling. It's promise driven. That's all spot on. And I then also come back to, to saying like our secrets, like the why is, is there. We're putting out our tools, like how we work. There are a million different ways you can make a web app. And some of them just take a lot longer than others. They're, the reason we build our own tools is that we, see that inefficiency and go like, you know what? That's not going to work. We can't use the kind of tools that are not suitable for a team of two with one programmer to deliver a major feature in six weeks. So that automatically just shrinks our appetite for complexity, which is sort of a factor in this that rapidly just makes something that appears to be simple, very complicated because you're working with the with poor materials, really, or mat- not poor, as it, it's not necessarily that the outcome is poor, but the ergonomics are poor. They, they have the wrong grips. They don't work for single programmers. They work well for large teams. That's where a lot of tooling comes from. It comes from huge companies like Meta or Google or, or whatever, where cost just doesn't matter, at least not on the same scale. They, they would think nothing of having 10 people on a team or 20 people or 50 people, our entire company size on a single push, right? And we care uh, quite deeply about those ergonomics and those advantages compound. Those really compound in, in a way that when you remove a layer of complexity, you're moving like logarithmically down the chart in terms of how uh, quickly you can operate. The other thing I'd say is this curious thing where, as Jason say, on the one hand, you have all these long-term promises to investors and roadmaps and customers and whatever, and then you somehow swallow those long-term plans with the cough syrup of unreasonably short cycles, durations. Scrum, for example, talks about a two-week cycle where what you're producing is completely artificial. In most cases, those two-week sprints, they're also called sprints, which there's a whole discussion there, they don't produce something final. They produce an artificial piece, bite of a real thing. When we talk about six weeks, we're talking about like the thing. That's the feature. 
we're shipping it, and then we're moving on to something new. When you look at, um, at these two-week sprints, it's nothing, nothing's fucking finished. It's just a long conveyor belt of partial feature implementations that get put behind feature flags, and you have the proliferation of half-done work that has never moved off the plate. And that in itself is just a massive complicating factor. If you could just focus on one thing, this is what we're doing. We're two people. Let's work on this together. Three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, whatever. This is, has our undivided attention. Our attention is not being atomized by all these other things going on and all this half-done work and all these feature flags and all this other shit that comes up. We're just going to do one thing at a time and we're going to get it off the plate. It's... It's kind of one of those um, deceiving things where it looks like we're going slow. Sometimes when we look at um, a cycle's worth of work, we'll look at like three features or something like that. And you go like, that doesn't, I don't know, feel like it's, it's a lot. But then you go like, we do that six times a year. You look at Basecamp at the start of the year and you look at it at the end of the year and you go like, wow, it's so much better. We made so many real meaningful, worthwhile improvements, even though it's like 15, 18, 20 things. Of, of major note, it's enough. I will say for your customer-facing teams, it's nice to be able to say, I don't know what we're going to work on in two years. You know, people ask for feature requests and it's an, an easy answer of like, we only work six weeks in advance. So I can't tell you the answer to that, but you know, it's, it's kind of a nice out. And tied to that, can I just add one more thing about promises? Yeah. Every time we've made a promise, we've regretted it. Like truly. And some of them we've delivered on, but like just, just to, to have this thing dangling out there 11 months like it's like well yeah by by the end of the year this is the best promise i mean the worst best promise like yeah, yeah we'll do that by the end of the year there's always these like you just keep pushing things and it's like well it's easy to say that it's the same thing when, when you ask people like would you pay f- how much would you pay for this product if we released it you know like, well, i don't know 100 bucks 50 bucks 20. it doesn't cost them anything to say anything right now so whatever they're telling you doesn't you can't put any weight into it and the same thing is true with like these yeah, by the end of the year or by early next year. I mean, we do have targets sometimes for like a new product release, but it doesn't drive. I mean, it's as we get closer, we, then it really does drive us. But to make promises to the outside world uh, about timeframes down the road is, is one of the biggest mistakes in business. And it happens all the time and people are constantly late. And it's completely unnecessary, self-imposed hurt and harm. We used to do it more. We used to make more of these promises. And as Jason said, we regretted every single one. And then when we switched over to essentially not committing to things, you know what? The cost of that was minuscule compared to the cost and the aggravation when you're late on a promise. That is one of the worst things out there. Um, you've set up that expectation yourself. You said it was going to be there. And now you've broken a promise. There are very few things worse in business than breaking a promise to a customer. Um, so rather take that like minuscule, uh, maybe annoyance, slight annoyance, like, uh, can't you, like, can't you work for this for me? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we will. We'll consider it in six weeks. Okay. Before we wrap up, tell me a little bit more about our other two person teams. We've talked about the designer programmers, but we have a couple others in the organization. I'm assuming that those started as just one person teams and then expanded. Yeah, essentially on the product side, we, we, assemble two-person teams in most of the company well, in other not most in other areas it starts with one person like andrea for example solo and now bethany's on her team 
or perhaps you and Chad, although you guys came on at the same time, essentially. And then, yeah, on, on finance, you know, we've, we kind of start with one person, that person needed someone else. So that's kind of how it grows. It rarely grows to three. I mean, sometimes people are collected together. Like marketing is a good example. There's different people from different skills that are under a certain umbrella. But in, in our case, there's two people internally who do video work, you know, you and Chad. So like, I kind of think of you as a team of two, even though you're doing different things in a sense, but that's typically how it goes. Um, so, so this is about, this is about not about anticipation of what we're going to need. It's actual need. So we, we've had this, this term since the beginning, hire when it hurts. I think this might've been in getting real if it wasn't in getting reels and rework, but hire when it hurts. Point being, don't hire in anticipation of pain, hire when there is some pain. Uh, and not a tremendous amount of pain. You don't want to be like strung out where you're really, really resource depleted and can't do anything. But you should feel it first before you go, we really need to have someone else come in and help or or, or build something up. So that, that's been our, our process since the beginning. And some of that pain as we've had it on QA, which is one of the teams we've most recently hired for, comes up in the moment that uh, Michael, the person we've had on QA flying solo for a long time with external help, but flying solo internally was like, hey, I'd like to be off for six weeks. I have a sabbatical coming up. I want to take some prolonged breaks. And we were like, oh, yeah, actually, do you know what? We've been flying too long with like just one person on that team. And some things would have ground a little bit to a halt if he was to, to leave for six weeks. You know what? We should have someone else there, too. So I think that at least instinct for us now at this stage of the business is also a little bit about redundancy about, do you know what? Um, we have uh, Nick and Ron managing our books and our accounts. You know what? We're large enough business that like if Ron or Nick um, was unable to get to work for a while, like we still need to get people paid. <laughs> we still need to pay our bills and our vendors and manage the funds coming in and so on. Like just having one layer of redundancy um, is prudent. Now, I would not advise for this at all when you're starting out and even quite late in the starting out, having the single bus factor in the beginning is just fine. Until you are solidly established, you should not be thinking about redundancies. Um, but once you are, as we are now 20 plus years into this, having some redundancy around critical functions, like, hey, are we, <laughs> are we still making money? Uh, are we still paying people? Good, prudent thing to do. But you got to be quite vigilant about that too. Like once that redundancy is there, like that's the pain. Like so many departments, as soon as they get a little bit of um, sort of momentum in growth, they'll just continue on unless it is stopped, unless it's arrested quite early on. So that part, and then finally I'd say on that, I think, particularly for someone who'd been at the company for a very long time, what we've seen time and again is if you're the only one doing the kind of work you're doing on a team of one, that has an expiration date. You can't do that for too long. I mean, at most a couple of years, anything longer than that, you're going to go a little stir crazy. Um, you just are. You need someone else to share your trials and tribulations with who actually understand the work itself, not just a manager, not someone else. And we've had... I think a couple of cases like that where it didn't quite work out over the long term because we only had one person in that role. So that's some of the considerations to, to think about. I love that. Well, with that, we're going to wrap. It's been a little while since we've been here. And last time that we were on the podcast, we didn't ask me anything. We want to keep doing those. So if you have any questions, 
that you want to have Jason and David answer about a better way to work and run your business, leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850. Rework is a production of 37 Signals. You can find show notes and transcripts on our website at 37signals.com slash podcast.